kind of symbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. When I got out in 1989, we had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. And welcome to Skywatchers Radio. This is Rick Osmond. You're listening to the Soup Media Network and Public Service Network Radio. Here on Skywatchers, we have a real treat tonight because we have a new host coming on board. But for tonight, she's a guest. I want to introduce you all to Suzanne Chancellor, who hails from the West Coast or Left Coast, as the case may be. And uh, Suzanne, you have a story to tell how, how you got interested in all this. Why don't we just start there and just go ahead and tell us about that. Okay. Well, very nice to meet all of you. I'm so glad everyone who's listening from all over the globe is here with us tonight. Um, I feel very, very honored that I have this opportunity to share this story that I've been wanting to tell for so long. Um, up until about a year and a half ago, I was very intimidated by the fact that I'd had these experiences and was completely shunned by everyone. And so I basically kept it to myself my whole life, um, even not even talking about it with my own family. Um, I started having these experiences when I was quite young, um, and I thought they were just dreams. Um, but as I got older and I started reading things, I started seeing books in the library and newspaper articles that there might be something else going on. So I started doing my own research for myself and realized that, wait, these might not have just been dreams. Um, so I will start at the beginning, and that is when I was four years old and living in uh, Pasadena, California. Um, I had a very, very vivid dream that I was being taken back into my bedroom in the middle of the night, and I was being carried from underneath into my room. And I could see the ceiling of the hallway and then my door jam, and I got over into my bed, and the covers were pulled up to my neck, and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I had this compelling thought that I needed to get a Band-Aid to put on my belly button. So I went to my mother, and I just said, Mommy, I need a Band-Aid. And she says, well, what do you need it for? And I said, well, I need it for my belly button. And she was looking at me like I was out of my mind. And she says, why would you need that? And I said, they told me that I can't touch my belly button because it might get infected, and so I needed to put a Band-Aid on it. And she said, well, who were they? And I said, the people from my dream last night. And she says, honey, that was just a dream. And I said, mommy, I want a Band-Aid. And so she just looked at me, rolled her eyes, got a Band-Aid, and said, here. And I put it on, and everything was totally fine. <laughs> so that's where the journey starts. 
Okay. Um, yeah, so With a band to the belly button. Yes. So I think that that kind of looking in retrospect, that was quite an odd request at four years old. Um, I don't have any real recollection or recalled memory from the actual incident itself, um, but I do know now, based on other people's accounts, that um, they have had experiments uh, via the belly button themselves. So, I don't know. I just it, It's quite unnerving and, and very unsettling because those experiences when I was very young were all very benevolent and very disturbing, and my recalled memories that are coming back to me now um, are very frightening. And the ones that I don't recall, I think I'm not recalling for a reason because they are traumatic. And I have been asked, why don't you get you know, go under hypnosis. And I believe that I'm only supposed to remember what I'm supposed to remember um, for that reason, um, because they were so traumatic. Um, and then I had another account in the same year when I was in preschool, and my mother worked during the day. And so I went uh, after preschool. They had aftercare there, and I was always quite bored so I just kind of wandered off the playground. I walked behind. There was a big field, and there was this little, like a little shed. And I wandered into the shed. It was very, very hot. It was probably, I think, the beginning of July. And it's very dry in California. Um, obviously, it's the desert. So I just walked into this barn, and I thought, wow, look at that. There's like a saddle over here, and there's a bridle. And it got really, really bright in there. And all of a sudden, I, I heard this like a buzzing sound, almost like cicadas and, and like the June bugs that they have. And I looked up into the rafters, and there was an owl. And I was just so amazed by this creature. It was just so beautiful, and it was just looking at me. And all of a sudden, it got really, really bright and really, really loud, and I was plugging my ears because it was just so deafening, and I laid down on the ground and just got in like the fetal position until it went away and it finally went away and when I opened my eyes it was dark outside and I heard my name being called and I heard my mother calling my name and I ran out of the barn and there were like five or six people looking for me and my mother is screaming at me, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? And she says, we've been looking for you for hours. And I said, I just went in here during recess. And, and there's, you know, it's night. And I couldn't explain it. And she looked at me and she spanked me. <laughs> and she said, you just wait until we get home. Your father is really going to have it with you. And then I knew at that point that I was never to talk about this again because they would never understand that I knew something had happened and that I could never share it again. So, In your um, mind, though, as, as, at that age, what did you think you were experiencing? I had no idea. I thought I was going crazy. I thought there was something medically wrong with me. I thought um, that maybe I had a seizure or, like, had passed out or, you know, um, I had no explanation for it at that point. Um, I just knew that there was something else going on. Um, I had very vivid dreams always as a child. Um, and at that point, um, 
I was about seven years old when we moved to um, a place called Newbury Park, which is about 40 miles north of Los Angeles. And it was a very... Well. I'm sorry? I know the place well. I grew up in Los Angeles. Do you really? Oh, okay. So yeah. it's a, a little... Far, like Back in the day, it was a, a ranching community. We had the 101 was a two-lane mm-hmm. highway. It was very much like um, old... Uh, like agricultural, lots of orange groves mm-hmm. and lemons, and so. Uh, but when I moved there, I had many more experiences, and because I was older, um, I started um, recalling more and and having a little bit more curiosity. Um, I had a visitation one evening when I knew they were coming for me, and I woke up, and it, it was just almost like they were calling me and saying you know, wake up, and I woke up, and I thought, oh, man, I don't like this, and so I hid in the bathtub, but, but I knew that was silly. I knew that would still find me, right? So I just did, you know, it's a total normal uh, human reflex to hide when you're afraid, especially when you're nine. So they came, and again... That, that's, and a, that's a reflex that you'd use even when you're 33 like I am. I, <laughs> I completely understand. Do you? Okay. Well, I think as a child, it's more, um, you know, I, th- it was such a big thing. It's so, so much yeah. bigger than we were that there was no way I had any control of what was going to happen to me, and that frightened me more than anything, not having the control and being taken right. against my will. So um, I, re- I lived on a cul-de-sac, and I remember, and this is quite odd, because how could nobody else see this, that this craft landed in my cul-de-sac, Okay. And that's the last memory that I have um, to that point. But after that, I actually woke up standing up behind my door in the morning, and it was a jar. And have no recollection of what happened in between. Now, how big was the craft that you, that you saw? It was probably about, um, I'm going to say, about 20 feet by 20 feet. How far away were you from the craft? Um, I was about, uh, like, about uh, seven feet away. About seven feet. Wow, that's pretty close. Yeah, it's, I mean, what well, was right there? I mean, it was right in, in my street. So I looked out my window, and I saw it, and I, that's when I went into the bathroom and hid in the bathroom. Well, I have a friend who is now in his 60s, and he has recollections of being transported through, like, closed windows passing mm-hmm. through walls mm-hmm. you know when he was three or four years old and it's only on very rare occasions even though I've known him for uh, 35 years to get him to talk about it mm-hmm. right it very traumatic experience apparently but um, for years decades after that he was somewhat traumatized by it he finally uh, he was taken to doctors and whatnot but he finally got hooked up with some, I would call them Native American medicine men, shamans. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, you know, it's, it's part of it. It's part of being on earth and being human. Whether it's a physical manifestation or strictly spiritual is kind of irrelevant because it's a traumatizing experience. Right. And well, all you can do is case. deal with it. Any abduction case is traumatizing, but I mean something like this, where it's so foreign and really, they hate to use a 
you know the word, but it's so alien to anything normal that you could mm-hmm. go through as a child. Uh, I mean, this this kind of incident or this kind of uh, abduction phenomenon could really traumatize you for life more than, you know, sometimes you, I think it, it's almost worse than even being abducted by a human, in some mm-hmm. sense, because the human, if you even if you get escape, nothing bad happens to you. You can kind of you know deal with it as you get older, but how do you deal with you know something like this? Right. Well, I agree with that. I think that um, so funny you should say that, Jackal. It, it's um, there's definitely mind control, obviously happening, telepathic right. mind control, and most human abductions don't involve that. It's a physical abduction, right. and so you have the out to break away if you can, you know. Um, in this situation, you have no control because you're hypnotized. You're in a state where you do, as they say, and you have no choice whatsoever. Um, and I know that you've heard of, of horrible experiences that people have endured with a mm-hmm. definite, you know, medical experiments and, and you know, extraction of, of eggs and, and semen and, and um, you know, just having these fetuses growing inside them and then having them removed. I mean, come on. I mean, this is just not right. And it's... It really angers me now, after all the research that I've done, um, that we have been we have allowed these beings to uh, abduct our, us humans in exchange for technology. Now, what do you, which other beings do you think are are doing the abduction? Do you think it's the Greys are the main ones? Do you think those are the ones that abducted you? Absolutely, absolutely the, the Greys. Greys and the Greys, and and it's interesting because. Now, looking back, I, I realize that they were just uh, robots, and they were just doing as they were told. They have no emotion. They, they don't care. If you're scared, they, they just do as they're told. And um, that is also quite uh, disheartening because they have no compassion for what they're doing Right. to us. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that they're very, they're very heartless in their emotions. They have no emotions. They're, just, uh, they're very, almost mechanical, like robots. Absolutely, and that's com- the feeling that I got. That's coming up more and more in, in ufology that more and more people are referring to them as almost robotic. Right, exactly, exactly true. Which is well, odd. <laughs> now, just so that I know, so that I know the background, because we're doing this spontaneously, folks. We didn't discuss it before the show <laughs> or anything on purpose, so <laughs> that we could address it, you know, <clears throat> spontaneously. Right. Um, did you seek any counseling or uh, therapy, or are you just dealing with it on your own, or how how's that working for you? I am not. I've never actually gone to therapy for it because I just feel that um, anything that anybody could ever say to me to try and deal with it, um, it I think it's just for me to deal with on my own and. Um, it has been quite traumatic uh, based on, obviously, we all have things that go on in our lives that don't involve this phenomena that are, are stressful in itself. So um, trying to keep that together and, and going through, you know, family situations and, and a divorce or deaths in the family, and then you've got this, this phenomenon that's also traumatic. I've always put it on the back burner, and I've just, uh, I chose not to really deal with it emotionally. I think that it's more um, a personal um, uh, journey where you learn about the situation and deal with it. And the one thing that I learned, the most powerful thing that I've gotten out of this is the best way for every abductee to deal with the situation properly is to let go of the fear. 
if you let go of the fear of the situation, they can't feed off of it and they lose power over you. And it's amazing. I mean, literally, I experienced that about probably five years after that last abduction when I was nine. Um, I, I accepted the fact that I was part of that situation and I had to deal with it on my own. And by accepting it, my visitations changed and it was quite interesting. In what way? I mean, how did they change? They all of a sudden went from being completely um, horrific and, and malevolent to quite benevolent, which was very odd. It was almost as though it was a test of, of will. And um, it went from me being afraid to actually not wait. I couldn't wait for the next experience. And I don't know what changed, like I said. But my next experience involved me um, being allowed to board a craft. Okay. And it was very interesting because I do not remember actually physically getting there. I just remember appearing there. I just got the chills. It's so amazing. <laughs> and I'm standing in the middle of this craft. And I believe it very well could be the very same type of craft that I saw. From the inside, that's what it looked like to me. And I'm standing there, and I'm in this huge room. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Um, I'm standing in this huge room, and it's completely backlit. I, don't, I couldn't see, like, a light source anywhere. Um, what I saw was a, a circular, almost like a counter around the room, and there were various uh, beings working on things and doing their jobs. And I also saw humanoids on that craft. So there were greys, there were humanoids, and there were, like, uh, I would say a few... A teenage, um, I would say hybrids, but they never looked at me. Describe humanoids a little bit better because the, the greys are humanoid in appearance. Also, had two right. feet, two arms, two legs, two feet. Right. So, I mean, they're humanoid as well. But are you saying that you saw human-looking beings, kind of yes. like Travis Walton? Yes, you saw exactly. Both as well? okay. Absolutely. Were they, yes, working were they, together. Were they Nordic-looking at all? Yes. Yes. And they, they had uniforms on. Um, it was in my mind at that moment point, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is so Star Trek-y. That's just like the way they're going about their business and, and not even acknowledging my presence, this, you know, human being. So there was a, a couple of kind of taller grays than the shorter ones, and they were probably about five feet tall, and then there was a very, very tall gray. And to me, I, in my head, I called him the emperor. He had this presence about him. He had a massive head, a huge forehead, and his forehead was almost, it looked kind of lumpy, like, uh, like you could see the bone structure in his forehead. And he had a, a cape on that was kind of a metallic-y, uh, really fluid-like with a huge collar. And he looked at me, and he spoke to me telepathically, and he said, I, I, come follow me. And he didn't really walk across the floor. He, he glided across, and I followed him to, the, to this one uh, counter. And there were no buttons. There were no knobs. Were, it was almost as if they were guiding the craft by moving their hands over this counter, almost like, a, like a, you would put a mouse over a computer. Okay. Um, so he, sw he swiped his hand across the wall, and it opened up with this huge window, almost like a screen. 
and I could see the earth. And I just thought, what is this? This is just, I must be dreaming. But I felt so peaceful. I was not afraid at all. And he said to me um, a couple of things, which I think are really interesting. One of them was, um, it's almost like he downloaded um, some information to me. And he says, when the time is right, this message will be given to you. And all I know is it was an algebraic equation, which I'm horrible at math. So when the time comes, I certainly hope I understand what it means. (laughs) Okay. Do you have it it saved, written down, somewhere stored? Um, You know what? It's I never really like I said. I it's it's like if I close my eyes, I can almost visualize it, but it's just too foggy. I never actually could write it down because it's just a lot of. A's and, and I don't know, it'll come to me someday. I just know that it will. And the other thing that he said to me was that um, the cure for cancer is something that we use every day. Marijuana. I, well, okay. That's, I have been I reading this. I kid you not. Hemp oil has been known to cure cancer. Look it up. Uh, there's a movie called Run from the Cure, the Rick, the Rick Simpson story, and he has cured cancer with hemp oil. So there you go. That's your answer. And people use it every day. No, I don't, but... <laughs> I am completely confident are known but suppressed in human society mm-hmm. simply for dollars. Exactly. Um, and whether it's energy or health-related, it's kind of immaterial. It's all dollars-related to the powers who control the technologies. Yes. Now, Now, the... The whole idea of having these mixed species aboard a craft, or if indeed the greys are actually living beings, which some people have questioned, mm-hmm. um, um, and you mentioned hybrids. Mm-hmm. Let's go there for just a moment. What could you, I mean, other than a physical blending, were there any other characteristics that made you think that? About... The ones that were the hybrids, you mean? Yeah. The humanoid ones. Um, you know, I just, when I looked at them, I knew that they were not human. And, and I think it was just, I think it was a telepathic energy that um, I got from them. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily that they looked strange. They looked a little different. They looked um, like they had a little bit of larger heads, but they weren't um, grossly animated looking. They they would blend in our society if they walked the streets. So let's just put it that way. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. We need to go to a break here in just a second. But when we come yes. back, we'll explore that um, more extensively. And, again, this is Rick Osmond and Suzanne Chancellor. I'll get it right this time. <laughs> on Skywatchers Radio. And the jackal's over there pushing the buttons and making hay. So we'll be back in just a few minutes, folks.
flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Elizabeth Taylor, movie legend. We lost her too soon. Gone, but not forgotten. Now, you can own an authentic piece of movie history. Elizabeth Taylor's Ashes. In a small commemorative urn. Remember, remember. I want you to forget me, please. For just $29.95 plus shipping and handling, we'll send you an ounce of real superstar soot. Elizabeth Taylor, movie legend. You can have a piece of her forever. Command performances leave me quite cold. Call today. Hurry. Quantities are limited. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Discount Comic Book Service, where you can save 40 to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one-of-a-kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-C Coldwater Road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. DCBS, welcome home. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Radio.com. I'm Rick Osmond, and I got it right the last time. I'll get it right this time. And Suzanne Chancellor with the Jackal <laughs> on the board. And yes. Suzanne, when we left to go to break, we were discussing the hybrids that you experienced aboard this craft. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious as to the, the, not only the physical description, but was their behavior different? Was it some blend between human and gray or... How would you describe the behavior? 
or was there any? There really wasn't any behavior that seemed odd to me. I, I felt that they were all just there um, doing their jobs again, and I feel I got the feeling that these um, humanoid hybrid um, teenage children um, were actually born, or they gave me the feeling that they were actually born out, off of Earth. So, um, again, I think that it was more about the uh, telepathic communication that I was getting from them that led me to believe that. Suzanne, okay. you know, I, I have this, quest, this question for everybody who I've ever interviewed uh, mm -hmm. who's had an abduction case, and I'm going to ask you the same question that I've asked many people. Uh, you know, supposedly these aliens have been coming down here and doing these experiments for may, maybe a century or two or three or four why do you think they're still doing this to people? Why do you think they're still coming down here and abducting people and impregnating them and creating hybrids? What's the what's the purpose of doing it for so long? I you know I really don't think that it's going on as much as it is has before now. Uh huh. Um, I all the experiencers that I've spoken with in the past year and a half since I started really coming out with the story, not one of them has said to me that they've had a traumatic abduction experience, which, which I think is quite fascinating. Um, I think that it's uh, we've gone into the next level here um, with what's going on on the Earth, and I think that they don't really need anything more from us. Um, I believe that they, um, back then, were trying to create a race that would be able to survive on this Earth, and I think that there are enough here among us that are here today um, to follow through with uh, their plan to do so. So I don't really believe that, in my experience, I know that from my personal experience, it's not happened to me since uh, probably 1971-72. All of my uh, visitations since then have been more of a, um, an awakening for myself and them telling me things and teaching me things and 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 finding my path and realizing why I'm here doing these things and being the conduit for people like myself to connect for uh, what's about to, to come to this earth. So, and that's another story altogether. Well, yeah, I'd like is. to hear that story. Yeah, it is. You know, and I, I'm pretty sure this deals with 2012, and this is a perfect time for you to jump onto the show as you know the, one of the main hosts because 2012 is right around the corner. Exactly. Uh, so, what what exactly are you know we in store for in the next coming years that you know that you're familiar with? Um, well, lately, um, the past three months have been very enlightening. Um, I've I've met. Um, this is really quite heavy for me, but um, I met a gentleman who's also an experiencer. He's an author and a lecturer, and he had um, some experiences that really rang true with my own uh, experiences. And when I read his story and I listened to his interview, I thought, oh, my God, this is exactly what my experience has been. So I connected with him, and he was uh, channeling a Palladian entity, and he had been for about five years now. And he had been getting message, messages from them about what is in store for us. And as he was telling me these things, and we were just chatting online, we weren't even talking on the phone, um, he said to me, I'm getting a message for you right now. And I thought, okay, um, I don't know if I want to hear this. And he says, they're telling me 
something about you, what you should be doing. Now, at the time, ironically, um, I had actually connected with the gentleman to do a documentary. And instead, we decided to do a television project, but I hadn't told anybody about it because it was still in the, in the working, and I didn't want to, you know, look the cat out of the bag. So um, he tells me, this gentleman, that the message he's getting is that I'm, I'm to do, I'm going to be international, and I'm going to be going to different sites all over the world, and it's going to be a television talk show. And then he says, not the documentary. And there is no way that he could have known that about me. So that just stopped me in my tracks, and I thought, whoa, this is amazing. So obviously, there's something bigger than this. There's no way. Somebody's definitely, is he psychic? You know, that's another thing as well. You know, psychics are tuned into another vibration, another consciousness, awareness. And so I believe that of him as well. Um, so he told me that I need to follow my path and I need to really open myself to these messages because um, there is a lot out there for me. And so the things that I got about 2012 when I did do that, what it is not about 2012 at all, the shift has already started, basically, and it has been for a while. And there are so many signs that we need to look at and we need to open our eyes, and that's one of the things that we do these shows, okay? We need to bring these things out in the open. We need to see what's going on in the world. We need to see what's going on out in the universe. We need to know the lies that the government is keeping from us, that NASA is keeping from us, okay? And we need to do our own research. And there's plenty oh, of resources, sure. plenty of resources for this. One thing that I am going to say, I've lived in California my whole life, and the sun would always set due west, okay? The sun is now setting in the northwest. Now, I don't know if you've noticed that at all yourselves, but I challenge you, if you've lived in one space for a long time, think about that. If you take a compass right now, it does not point due north. It's a little bit northeast. So the well, earth has you. shifted. It's actually, it's actually a little bit northwest for me. But that's, that's verifiable science. I mean, right. the, the sunset direction changes with the seasons, and it's now almost due west again. It no, I'm talking about during the summer. Yeah, but it never was due west during the summer. It never was. That's, that's seasonal. It, it always sets northwest in the summer. On June 21st, that's when it's the farthest northwest. Okay, well, I'm, I'm talking about this was in March that I, I was noticing that. So. Um, so the whole change of events, I think, has a lot to do with um, our Earth um, is a, a living being and um, that we are expiring slowly. It's not going to be an overnight thing. Um, we all know about Comet Elenin. Um, there's a lot more out there that is being told to us for um, obvious reasons. Why did we just go to the moon again? Why are we there? Why did they stop the shuttle program? Why are they going to unman the space station? You know, there's just a lot of things that lead me to believe that um, there is something that's pretty big that's going to happen. Are we going to be flying through the debris of the comet? I don't know. I mean, what is your take on that? Well, as far as comets, there are comets all the time. We just don't see many of them. Exactly, but right this now, is so close. 
Right. And anytime you have a meteor shower or you pass the Earth passes through the tail of a comet because that's what causes a meteor shower, mm-hmm. that endangers anything that's in space and not protected by the atmosphere. On right. the other hand, yep. we've had things in space for 50 years, and the number of craft that have been damaged in these events has been virtually nil. There have right. been some. Mm-hmm. So the chances of you know a, a random meteorite causing uh, catastrophic damage to one of the craft is so low simply mm-hmm. because there aren't that many of them and, and the fields... Debris fields aren't that dense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the other hand, um, there are, for instance, asteroids. Mm-hmm. We had one pass what I would consider dangerously close to the Earth fairly recently. We have mm-hmm. a possible impact door um, in 2039. They know it's coming. They just don't know how close it will be. They say, oh, well, it'll pass between the Earth and the Moon. It's like, okay, that still leaves a lot of leeway. And that thing's big enough to end life on Earth. Mm-hmm. In fact, there was a um, series, a book series that became motion picture called uh, River World, written by Philip Jose Farmer. Um, novel, obviously. But the premise was that all life on Earth ended in 2039, and just so happens that an alien was on Earth at that time. But everybody who was alive, ever, on Earth was reincarnated in this manufactured world called Riverworld. So you had everybody from Nero to Mark Twain to Bigfoot to an outer space alien all together on this planet, this artificial planet. Is really interesting and kind of thought-provoking book, but the thoughts that are provoked all deal with this 2039 impactor, or all are all a result of this potential impactor. But you don't hear much about it from NASA or anybody mm-hmm. else because, mm-hmm. oh no, you know it's it's like uh, don't worry about it. Um, I do worry about it. I probably won't be around. I'm almost 60 years old, and it's 30 years away, so chances are slim, but nevertheless, um, it's it's a potential extinct door, is what they call right. it, a planet killer. Mm-hmm. Right. And they don't want to talk about it. You know, something the size of a Volkswagen can wipe out a city, and this thing's the size right. of a mountain. So, back to your question of what do I think about them abandoning uh, the shuttle program well let's see we're 14 trillion dollars in debt now and (laughs) the shuttle program was originally designed to put things in orbit at roughly ten thousand dollars per pound it ended up being almost a million dollars per pound and we simply can't afford it now, do I mm-hmm. think they actually have something that will put stuff in orbit and return to the Earth with manned missions? Yeah, I do think that. And I think it's a daughter program to the Aurora program, which is a super secret. Nobody's got real good pictures of this craft. However, I will say this, NASA is announcing the test of their hypersonic aircraft. 
six six mach. Wow. Uh, yeah, this is really fast. Um, New York to Sydney in like forty minutes or something like that. It's like incredibly fast. Hmm. It would be incredibly hot on the skin of it too. I'd think. Interesting. And well, because it's no shock that it's no shock that it'll have technology like this. I mean, what do you think they've been working on Area Fifty One for the last fifty years? <laughs> Stuff just like they that. They don't tell. They don't tell us all the technology they have. But I'm sure. And somebody actually once told me on one of these shows that the government is probably about two hundred years or a hundred years more advanced technologically than what they give out to the public. Oh, no doubt. Think about that uh, for a second. And not just with uh, craft, I, I won't say aircraft, but not just craft. Everything from ocean bottom crawling rovers to, yes, I'm confident we've had more on Mars than what they've advertised. And they found more than Correct. what they've advertised or admit. In fact, Correct. incidentally, because it's Skywatchers, and we have to go to break here again. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the second face on Mars, which is somewhat of a new phenomenon. But anyway, this is Rick Osmond. second face, you see. Yeah. (laughs) This is Rick Osmond. This is Skywatchers Radio, and here with Suzanne Chancellor and the Jackal. We'll be back in just a few minutes. (laughs) Good job, Rick. Looking for a used car? We'll look no further. Florida Fine Cars has the car just for you. Here at Florida Fine Cars, we pride ourselves in customer service and quality of cars. Looking for a high-end car? We got them. Looking for an older car for a small cash deal? We got them. Due to having over 400 cars in our inventory, no matter what your situation, we can help. For more information, please go to www.floridafinecars.com today. Discount Comic Book Service, where you can save 40 to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one-of-a-kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-C Coldwater Road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. DCBS, welcome home. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954 That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Sometimes the law is not enough. Did you file the subpoena in the McPherson case? No, it wasn't urgent. I filed an AO440. AO440? I know, I know. So I went shopping for these loafers. Has anyone got a stapler? Got a lot of forms, and there's a slight reason here. Because paperwork is dramatic. Catch it Thursdays on Weasel before it catches you. Hey, it's Dina Martell with my fabulous co-host, Dr. Dennis Netter. Are you a sexual predator? Could you be? 
Find out how easy it is to be labeled one. Join us August 2nd for Love and Sex on SoFloRadio.com. Love and Sex. Better love, better sex, and better life. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. If you missed the Boca Show on 1470 WNX, you missed this. If you get caught smoking a cigarette, you get shot. You know who I am? I'm Mo Green. Someone put a bullet through his eye. The Boca Show, Sundays at 4 on WNX. Discount Comic Book Service, where you can save 40 to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one-of-a-kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-C Coldwater Road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. DCBS, welcome home. The Internet is not your basement. You can't build a website, dump it into storage, and ignore it every day. The search engines want fresh content. You've got to treat your website content like a business asset. Turn it over to IonLeap. We're an Internet marketing agency who helps companies get found by search engines using robust content. Bring your website content to life. Learn more at IonLeap.com. Millions of Americans every day are shedding unwanted pounds by taking tested and proven ultra-lipo-stick. Carbohydrates are bad, bad. Our carbo-fighting antioxidant is good, good. Just listen to these satisfied customers. My name is Gail, and I lost like 20 pounds on ultra-lipo-stick. My name is Jared, and I lost 46 pounds using ultra-lipo-stick. My name is Zach, and I actually gained weight. This stuff sucks! Ultra-lipo-stick is Safe and easy to inject. Just three doses, four times a day, discreetly underneath your fingernail. Listen to this. I used Ultra Lipo Stick and suffered from side effects like uncontrollable greasy discharge. Ultra Lipo Stick, it turned the armpits of all of my shirts orange. This stuff is crap. Try it today and see some real results. Ultra Lipo Stick, not available in stores. Results may vary. 4,734 UFO sightings in 2007. 854 abductions by aliens or unknown species reported by American and British citizens. And hundreds more unreported in 2007. Suppressed information about collisions with passenger aircraft and UFOs that has been kept from the public knowledge for years. And only one trusted source on information from some of the top UFO researchers in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted, connected, accurate. TheUFOStore.com Expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant downloads 
downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to theufostore.com or call on the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there, and theufostore.com has it. Chancellor, who's going to be a regular host on this program, and I want to wish her a welcome aboard, hearty, and all that stuff. And we were talking before break about a recent discovery or claim of discovery, might be more accurate, of a second face on Mars that is also in Sidonia. Um, it's actually about, about due west of the first face on Mars, on the opposite side of the plane. Um, there are a lot of things at Sidonia that are odd, and Richard Hoagland has made his life's mission to explain some of them, or at least address the questions. At any rate, I don't know if any of you have been following this story, but the, um, the Photoshop experts... <clears throat> Now, not changing the image so much, not redrawing it, but reshading it, uh, enhancement, all that stuff, taking out some grain and whatnot. They've made me pretty much intrigued of this second face. But years ago, there was an, a presentation by the late Dr. Tom Van Flandern in which he found 27 anomalous images on Mars. Hmm. And they weren't all humanoid faces. Some of them were like dolphins and horses and deer and fish and all kinds of stuff. There are a lot of strange things on Mars. Um, Suzanne, have you ever followed any of that? Um, not really. Um, mostly probably in the past year or so, really thinking about checking that out. I have a really good friend of mine who was supposed to be a guest tonight, um, Jose Escamilla, has um, a beautiful documentary regarding the moon um, and the things that, that are on the moon, the structures and the domes and what have you. But I have not actually studied the Mars space, so I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, me too. Um, the uh, I'm very interested in speaking with Jose as soon as he can get with us, and hopefully that's yes. soon. I understand he's uh, experienced some health setbacks, but... Yes, I'm, I'm confident he'll get over it. Yes, he will. <laughs> and the uh, the anomalies on Mars are certainly not unique, even within our solar system. They have there have been anomalous images on the moons of Saturn, um, and of course the moon, our moon Luna, as well as the SOHO satellite has found anomalous stuff just looking towards the sun and. Jacqueline and I talked about that roughly, I don't know, what was that, a year and a half ago? The SOHO Something images? Like mm -hmm. yep. um, there was Amazing one image. Amazing images, too. Amazing yes. images. I mean, whatever these things are, they're, they're 
huge objects. I mean, huge, huge objects. And again, we, we talked about, what was it, like five, six different objects, Rick? Uh, I think one image had like a dozen. Yes, but what's, ama what's most amazing to me is when you think about how big the sun is, if these things were truly right. in proximity to the sun, they were huge. They were as big as this planet. Probably bigger so, in some sense. Yeah. So it's it's very intriguing what could have caused that image because mm -hmm. those things, that satellite isn't looking in visible spectrum. It's actually looking at an entirely different spectrum, X-ray uh, to UV. And it's, of course, it's still a rather intense light and they have to mask the sun um, out of the central portion of the image. But it's... It's truly amazing what they can do with the technology, but then it's also truly amazing what amateurs can do with Photoshop. And yet these images made it onto the net at least for a couple of days, and they were gone. Wow. So, now, the, Rick, getting back to the uh, second face on Mars, is that the face that has like a, it looks like a crown on the top of the head? No. Uh, that's that's oh, the original. Have you seen that one? Yes. Um, actually, there are several like that. There's one that looks just like Nefertiti, in fact. Yes, I've seen that one also. And and uh, the one with the crown is seriously eroded, and mm -hmm. it uh, has a couple of impact craters and what looks to be a lot of water erosion on on uh, be the left side of the face as you're looking at it. So, what do you think that is? I mean, what do you think caused that? Water. I know, but <laughs> I mean, I how long? But I mean, how long ago? I mean, uh, do you think this is something now. that is a new development? That's what I'm asking. No, actually, I think uh, it has been quite some time since there was rainfall on Mars, but right. there is still a lot of water in the soil, and there even NASA is starting to admit that they can't cover that up anymore. There's water on Mars, wow. which goes against everything they tell us about that planet, that it's completely dry. It's, right. too, cold. it's too cold to support any kind of liquid water. It would have mm -hmm. to be ice, and yet you can see seasonal erosion channels. Like, they'll take a picture one year, and then a year later they go over the same spot, and, oh, look, there's a new erosion channel. That doesn't happen with ice. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. It happens with running water. Mm -hmm. uh, another group, whole big group of anomalous photos that Tom Van Flandern brought up showed and even uh, um, uh, come on brain, Clark, <laughs> the, uh, the novelist, 2001 guy. Arthur C. Clark. Arthur C. Clark. You Thank go. you, Arthur C. Clarke, <laughs> who, who invented geostationary satellites, incidentally, um, as a concept, not as hardware. But anyway, he, he also drew attention to these anomalous images that show foliage that grows and shrinks to season. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things going on on Mars that do not fit the paradigm that the planetologists give us, most planetologists, I should say. There are a couple of mavericks at NASA that say, oh, yeah, 
there was once a whole bunch of water on Mars. In fact, there was probably at least half as much water on Mars as there is on Earth now. And, of course, Mars is only about two-thirds as big as Earth. So that means it was virtually covered with water. And, of course, the rovers, uh, the Spirit rover in particular, found a lot of hematite spheroids. And that's a type of iron-containing mineral that can only form in the presence of water. Now, back to your question of how long ago did it form? I don't have an answer for that. But, hmm. but there are some clues. We have uh, a number of meteorites that NASA says were of Martian origin. And they claim, by where they were found in the ice in Antarctica, that they had to have hit the Earth in Antarctica roughly 13,000 years ago. And uh, there were probably a lot more of them that didn't land on land and will never retrieve them. But when you look at the density that are found in Antarctica from that specific time period, some event knocked a bunch of stuff loose from Mars, some impact. And it probably, if it knocked a bunch of land loose, rocks, it also did something to the water, the oceans that were on Mars. And they were oceans. If it all dissipated at that time, if it was all knocked out into space, it would almost instantly become comets, which basically are dirty snowballs, or some people call them snowy dirt balls. And it's kind of immaterial which way that works. But the water that makes up a comet, they say, oh, well, they all come from the Oort cloud. Well, that theory is 100 years old, and it's defunct. Sorry, it just doesn't work. The comets are of an origin from a hard, rocky body on which water adheres and then gets knocked loose. So it's, that's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, interestingly no. enough, I'm just going to um, add to that. Um, Jose actually showed me some photographs that were taken on Mars that um, did not have the reddish sky. Now, every picture that we've ever seen from Mars... I've seen those, yep. Okay, do you know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. take away that red filter and you've got the, the sky as it is mm -hmm. and... The surface of Mars looks like Earth. Oh yeah, a lot. Um, except, except it looks like the Chihuahua Desert or someplace well, like exactly. that. <laughs> yes, Which right. we do have. <laughs> yes. yes. And there's my a lot of life. Is, there is a lot is, of life yeah. of I, I all kinds. I think there is life on Mars now. I think there's still life there, and I also think there is water there. It's just in ice form underground. A lot of it. And I think that's going to be the disclosure that we're going to get from NASA eventually about Mars. That, yeah, there's more water than we thought, but it's all underground. It's all ice at this and, point. And maybe, and maybe what's happening is um, I did read a report that um, a lot of the planets are actually warming up. They're heating up. And so maybe right. these, this ice is now melting and causing exactly. all this. Exactly. And eventually right. this ice will come to the surface and it will start to actually create liquid running water once again on Mars. 
Right. That I think is going to start happening in probably in the near, in the very near future. And when I say near future, I'm talking about cosmic near future, which could be the next hundred years, mm-hmm. next thousand well, years. The, yeah. The other thing about Mars, if you ever saw the movie Total Recall with Ar- Arnold, <laughs> of course, Look here, then, of course, <laughs> the idea that there's no atmosphere on Mars is complete crap. Ludicrous. I think that's ludicrous. Yeah. There is a there's a enough atmosphere on Mars to mm-hmm. shake the cameras on the rovers when the wind right. blows. Of course, mm-hmm. you know the Some, the dense the density's not real high, but it's enough to shake a camera. And when you think about that, it takes a pretty good wind here on Earth to shake a camera. And mm-hmm. according to the planetologists, the air pressure at ground level on Mars is less than one one-hundredth what it is on Earth. And yet, we need about a 10 or 12 mile an hour wind to shake a camera on Earth. <laughs> so does that mean that they, they're getting a thousand, hour, a thousand mile an hour wind on Mars? Mm, or does it mean possible. that there's actually more air than what they're telling us? So then why do you think they're not telling us these things? Well, that's the, the $64,000 question, isn't it? <laughs> Um, it's it's just like the moon in the 60s. It's like, okay, we're going to have a race, see who gets there first with a man. It's like, why? I mean, what was the purpose of going to the moon? To say that we could, to prove that we could? Okay, we planted a flag, and yet we don't make any claims to it. We don't own the moon. Uh, that is sure. the United States. We don't claim to own the moon. We don't claim to own Antarctica, or anybody claimed to own Antarctica, with a few exceptions that are challenging world court. Uh, the UN owns Antarctica, incidentally. Wow. The moon, which has had human feet, well, not directly because they had to wear spacesuits on it, um, was not claimed. But if we get to Mars and we see that it's um, got a lot of iron and a lot of hematite and a lot of magnesium and a lot of other semi-precious minerals, um, the rules of engagement may change a little bit on claims of ownership. On the other hand, as we said earlier, if we really do have these technologies that are 100 or even, in some cases, 200 years ahead of what they're telling us, Maybe we're already mining up there, but we have to keep it quiet to keep the uproar from being too great. Very what do you think of that? I think that's interesting. I mean, I can historically, I can go back and prove that the United States government doesn't have any legal rights to the land within the United States. Right. <laughs> that, and this Funny, is where I put it. <laughs> This is where I put in my book plug, because my book <laughs> out <clears throat> towards the end of this month, stating exactly that and why, I, and why they don't own it. And the Native Americans are saying, see, I told you. You know what would be funny, though, Rick? Yeah, yeah. I know. You said this before. What? Go ahead. Tell Suzanne. She'll enjoy it. What? What have that I said when this before? When this craft lands, 
some 20 foot tall Indian's going to get out and say, get out. It's mine. <laughs> that, that's not even what I was going to go with, but um, that is a pretty funny joke, though. Yeah. That is pretty funny, though. Now, what I was going to go with was that anybody who believes in the fact that aliens are among us, right, or believes in the fact that they have crash-landed here, that we have back-engineered crafts, that we have flying saucers of our own, that we are actually experimenting with these, with this technology, that it might be a thousand years more advanced than us, a million years more advanced than us. If we have that technology, if you really have that technology in Area 51, then there is no way in hell that I'll believe that we're not already in Mars doing all kinds of things with all kinds of bases and all kinds of stuff up there in Mars and in a lot of other planets because if they could have one of these crafts they could zip right through the cosmos and you know in 25 seconds get from here to Mars or however fast I think can travel you know they're already going back and forth as oh, it yeah. is agree so it's not really far it's it, not far fetched at all and but the, the, and the evidence was pretty funny I, I'll admit that. that that was a funny joke the evidence <laughs> that they actually have secret spacecraft is overwhelming. It's not just incidental or right. you know, circumstantial. It's overwhelming. Let's go back very early to the um, Apollo 6 mission. Mm -hmm. Apollo 6, uh, I believe it was Apollo 6. I might have to do some homework on that one. Did the first docking maneuver with the Soyuz spacecraft in like 1968. I'm going to have to look at, nope. get to that one. Yeah. And uh, and there was a photograph of the two craft coming together and docking. And, and nobody thought anything about who the hell took that photograph. Somebody was outside the spacecraft taking pictures. <laughs> Very who was up there? <laughs> exactly. That's amazing. And that photograph got out, and mm -hmm. and NASA quickly commissioned a painting to say, "Oh no, it was just an artist's rendition." Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Never a straight answer. Yeah. NASA. And why do you think never that a is? Straight answer. Uh, why do I think that they never give a straight answer? Yes. Because of the simple fact is, it's all it's all a game. Not only to NASA, but the, the powers that be, the people who are behind the government pulling the strings. It's all a game, and they, they have to keep the lie up. And NASA will do stuff like that when they get caught red-handed with a little mistake. And they make mistakes, because, you know, we're all human. We all make yeah. mistakes. I mean, it, you know, it's it's funny. I've heard many people say, well, the government can't keep a secret. You know, look at all the scandals and all the, all the stuff that happens in, in Washington. And it's true. The government really can't keep secrets. They, they're no good at it. That's why there is all kinds of scandals. But, you know, at the same time, these kind of secrets are so deeply embedded. They, you know, there's going to be little leaks here and there, but the more they ridicule it, the more they make it into a, a joke, the easier it is for them to continue to pull off the, the hoax. And that's what they've been doing for the last 50 years. Right. Well, longer than that now. 60, Probably, yeah, long now. Yeah. 64 70. years. Um it's like okay, well, it was a radar, it was a weather balloon, then it was a radar target, then it was test dummies. Yeah, that was uh, my favorite. No, one, it was the crash craft at Roswell. That's no, no, no. It, <laughs> the test dummies is the best one because they they weren't even using that technology to like what five years after Roswell or four or years more after like Roswell, 10, happened, but or something like that. Yeah, I mean seriously, 
That's not even a that's not even a good lie. I mean, that that's the problem with NASA. It's, here we go. What I said earlier, it's human error, right? That is right. What that is, NASA came up with something quickly. You know, the guys that brainstormed this. All right, we need to come up with uh, an excuse uh, to what happened at the Roswell incident. Actually, that and wasn't the, the that wasn't NASA. That was the Air Force. But same well, difference. Whoever came up with it, yeah, whoever came up with it. The 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 point is, the people that came up with the excuse all brainstormed, and they said, all right, we have to come up with something that we can we can explain. And they just came up with the first thing they thought of without even doing probably their homework and understanding that this technology, the, these experiments were not even being done at that time. Right. And then that bit them right in the ass. Like, it always right. does. They've, they've come up with, what, like five, five different stories now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stanton Friedman, who we really need to get back on this program, has, Very soon, yes. has all that history right on the tip of his tongue, and I always have to look up stuff like that. I have a good concept memory. I don't have detailed memory. So just kind of like giving Susan the wrong last name. Suzanne the wrong last name. <laughs> and the wrong first name. <laughs> just now. That, that's my first, my first trip up on that one. But You know, no. even funnier than the Indian joke, uh, Dennis Crenshaw, who used to be on the show here, used to be the one that used to butcher the names. I think now Rick is going to take over the mantle of Dennis Crenshaw's butchering of names. Yeah. It seems that way. Mm-hmm. But then I'm gold. Uh, I can live with it. The The interesting thing to me about Never a Straight Answer and the Air Farce is that they... The Air, the air Farce? <laughs> yes. And I am... It wasn't a, butchering uh, that one. No, that wasn't a butcher. No, I, that, was, that was on purpose. Um, or Uncle Sam's Flying Circus, as it's sometimes called. <laughs> and I... I was a member of the Air Force at one time. But nevertheless, I was not at the upper echelons in the know and all that crap. But I am a fairly good observer of things that go on in the skies, and I've seen a couple of craft that do not fit the description conventional aircraft. One of them, I'm pretty sure, was a terrestrially built craft but using unconventional technologies because nothing that big could fly with an internal combustion engine. It was huge. And the other one was, I don't know. Uh, It was the egg-shaped, you know, the classic egg-shaped craft, internally illuminated, light coming out the back end and flew it like, you know, 20 mile an hour, but across the wind. So, guided. It was not something that's in the uh, brochures about the Air Force or any other aircraft. But I'm, a, I'm still an observer of aircraft, including experimental aircraft, that is like home-built, scratch-built, plan-built. And there are a couple of brothers who are building an airplane from scratch. I hate to tell them about John Denver, but nevertheless. Uh, <laughs> and they're actually broadcasting their work their progress on YouTube and and doing it live each Tuesday night. Um, uh, next time I'll have details for that. But they are learning a lot with each piece they try to make. So I hope to submit a regular feature for this show just a few minutes each week talking about experimental aircraft. 
one of which I don't have enough details on yet, but I've been watching the boards for the Experimental Aircraft Association, and one of the trends within that community is electric drive airplanes. What does that mean? That means they're going to be comparatively silent. Mm. So you'll see something flying across the sky, but you won't hear it. Right. Like a Prius. So <laughs> well, kind of, yes. <laughs> in, uh, in 1964, Parnell and Jones drove the first turbine engine car in the Indianapolis 500, and they made him put a horn on it because nobody could hear him coming. So this thing's going, these electric planes are even quieter, depending on how well balanced the propeller is. But just just a heads up, nice pun for Skywatchers, electric <laughs> planes are headed your way. Wow. All kinds of strange stuff, even among amateur builders. So if you can figure that one out, what do organized folks... Uh, okay, that's an oxymoron. Organized like the government have that we don't know about. And the answer is probably we don't know since we don't know about it. But I'm guessing there's a lot. So I'm going to ask both of you right now, Jackal and Rick, have you ever seen, obviously you have Rick, but have you, Jackal, seen any uh, craft that you could not explain? I've seen a craft that I could not explain when I was a child in California of all places. Uh, I was actually in the backyard with a friend of mine. We were playing. We were little kids. I was like maybe seven years old. And uh, in the sky there was a craft that I knew definitely was not a plane. I don't know what, what it was. I cannot it say it was like? an alien craft. Uh, honestly, it was just a glowing light. And it, it was just stopped. And then it just took off straight up. After it was stopped there for like maybe 10, 15 seconds, then it just shot straight up into the air and disappeared. Wow. That was definitely not an airplane. I don't know what it was. I can't claim it for it, you know, to say that it was an alien spacecraft from another planet. Could have been anything, you know, it could have been an experimental craft of ours, could have been anything, but it just was not a conventional aircraft. So I would say that it's definitely a UFO. And I had another experience here in Florida with my father, of all people, and uh, we were watching TV. And I was about 13 or 12 years old at the time, and uh, we were both watching TV, and there was a window next to the TV, and uh, there was a craft that was running really slow uh, across the window, and it was just flying really slow across the window, and all of a sudden it just stopped and disappeared. And we both saw wow. it stop, stop there for like 10 seconds, they didn't shoot up anywhere, it just disappeared, literally just disappeared. And oh. we both saw it, my dad freaked out, he, he's not really into the subject all that much. Uh, he started getting getting more into the subject because of that, and uh, he's one that uh, really kind of uh, took me as a kid to go see movies like Fire in the Sky, and you know, you know, he allowed me to get more and more into it also because he saw that and it kind of convinced him that wait a second, something's going on. So he got mm -hmm. into it a little bit, and I got into it. The thing is, my father only speaks Spanish, so for him, it was a little bit harder to really understand and get the full grasp of a lot of the stuff that we get to, you know, research and, and learn. Because he doesn't mm -hmm. have, you know, there's, there's that language barrier with him. But he is extremely interested in the subject because of that moment in time, because of that day, and uh, it's something that we are, we've actually talked about in family reunions and stuff that you know we've had. And uh, people look at you like, are you really? Are you serious? Are you, are you, guys, are you guys crazy? <laughs> well, you need to but, hook him know, up with uh, Jaime. 
you know, well, maybe that would be an interesting show, my father, on with Jaime Musan. That would be very interesting. Oh, definitely. He's uh, great. But, you know, I'd tell everybody, like, you know, because see, you think that uh, we're crazy or that I'm nuts because I saw a couple lights in the sky. But until you've actually had that experience yourself and you've been there and you've actually been the one to see it, you know, you can't really judge somebody else who has seen it because you ha- you haven't seen it for yourself. You don't know exactly, you know, what somebody else has been through. You can't talk about somebody else's experience and just, you know, completely throw it out the window because you haven't had that experience. You know, every- right. it doesn't mean it's not true because you didn't go through it. That's what I tell people. And, you know, they, I ha- believe it or not, since I've been doing a lot of radio in the last three years, I've had more and more people open up about how they feel about the abduction phenomenon, about aliens and about UFOs and more and more people that I know believe that I didn't really think believed before. <laughs> so it, Why it's do you kinda, think that it's is? an amazing thing. <laughs> a lot of people are in the closet about it. They really are. They they just don't talk about it, you know, they but they believe that we're not alone. They believe that, you know, that we've been visited. They just uh for whatever reason don't like to talk about it. Maybe they're scared of the ridicule factor, maybe they're scared of just you know, having people think that they're crazy, whatever it is, well, but more and more people do believe that we're not alone and we've been visited. And one of the reasons is because of mainstream media, and look at all the television oh, of shows, uh, and people are saying, okay, well, okay, I'm watching this right now on television, so there must be something happening, because it's on TV, I'm going to believe it, mm-hmm. and okay, now I can talk about it, because now, since everybody's being shown these things on television, um, then it's okay to talk about it. And so then they can say, okay, well, now I can come forward and say, well, this did happen to me. And I'm not crazy because the producers of the TV show um, have put this there, and they're not going to have people laugh at them. So obviously right. there's some truth to it. Well, here's the thing. You know, the media plays a big part in institutionalizing certain things and making it part of the culture. And, you know, certainly aliens, UFOs, yeah. Uh, the topic has become part of our culture because of the media, because they've you know sensationalized it uh, throughout movies and TV shows like Sightings. Uh, of course, movies like Avatar, the number one movie of all times, is an alien movie. It's a movie about aliens. So mm-hmm. you know things like that make it into a more of an institution in itself. You know, ufology has become a religion, and nobody could deny that. It's really become its own religion in a sense, and that's all because of the media campaign that's been brought on in the last 30, 40 years. And it all started really around the time that Roswell happened. Mm-hmm. It's almost, to me, it feels, and I've you know said it before, it feels like Roswell is a real incident, a real craft landed. The government said, well, this is it. We finally you know have the evidence because people were talking about possible UFOs in the skies for years before Roswell happened. So at that point, I think what really happened was they said, okay, this is it. You know, They're really here, and we have to condition the population because we can't just come forward and say, okay, aliens are real because they already tried that with uh, the Orson Welles radio skit. That didn't go over too well. You know, right. Blue Book told them that, you know, people are not going to take it so well. So because of things like that, well, you know, events in our the own Rand, The RAND study uh, kind of kind of put the skids on full disclosure. And when we get right. uh, Steve Bassett on the end of the month, which th- that's my time to plug, coming up later this month, we'll have Steven Bassett plug, of the plug, Disclosure plug, plug, Project. Plug. Yes. And we'll... we'll 
kind of explore that with him. But, you know, the history of sightings goes back even quite a bit further than that. 1897 oh, yes. in Texas was of another course. crash uh, with a supposed body buried in the local cemetery and mm-hmm. dug up in the middle of the night and some it's nowhere to be found. Uh, some of the wreckage was thrown down a well, and when the guy got ready to clean out the well, um, it did irreparable damage to his skin and even to some of his the bones in his hands. Right. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of lot of history that goes back quite a bit further than Roswell or even Orson Welles. And in fact, right. if you go if you go listen to the Native Americans, they'll tell you about the Sky People. It's part of their tradition and has been for a thousand or maybe thousands of years. It's uh, there's something there. Just bottom line, well, there's you know, something there. Rick, what's funny about a lot of the old traditions, especially the Native Americans and what they believe in, and when they refer to them as Sky People. In their beliefs, they've made it out to be more of a, of a mystical, almost godly, saintly type of uh, beings. But in reality, that was just their way of translating what they were experiencing, because they, they had no sense of what extraterrestrial meant at that time. But in reality, that's really what they were talking about. Well, you might be assigning them a level of sophistication below, well below what is real. They also had a tradition of the water people, which right. is a whole different ballgame. But uh, we have to get Dennis. We have to get Dennis on board for that one. Yeah, we will. And UFOs and water is another topic altogether that I hope yes. to explore some more. Anyway, we're due for another break, and um, and we'll be back in about five minutes or so. This is Rick Osmond for Skywatchers Radio. See you in a few. Baseball Productions original series that takes you deep inside the lives of the Major League ball players like you've never seen it before. Congratulations. Follow the world champion San Francisco Giants on the field and off. You got him down? And they fight to hold on to the trophy. Mark it down. Repeat. The franchise. A season with the San Francisco Giants premieres Wednesday, July 13th at 10. Only on Showtime and Showtime HD. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com 
Hi everybody, this is Boca Brian once again to tell you about my latest CD of religious comedy bits. Word of Boca. All my smash hits made famous throughout the world. For the, well, not exactly the world. Let's see. Parts of Boca Chobie down to Bartay of Palander. Well, like I was saying, the most requested religious comedy bits ever to be heard all over your radio for too short a time. You'll get such hits as... You'll get Amen. And this all-time Boca classic. They were speaking in tongues. Yes, it's Word of Boca. About 30 all-time certified aluminum religious hits by Boca Brian, who sits on the middle finger of God while singing about men of the moist cloth. That's Word of Boca. Available now at all Peaches, Records, and, uh, I mean, at Order Yours Today by clicking on the album cover on SoulGlowRadio.com. Looking for a used car? Well, look no further. Florida Fine Cars has the car just for you. Here at Florida Fine Cars, we pride ourselves in customer service and quality of cars. Looking for a high-end car? We got them. Looking for an older car for a small cash deal? We got them. Due to having over 400 cars in our inventory, no matter what your situation, we can help. For more information, please go to www.floridafinecars.com today. Discount Comic Book Service, where you can save 40 to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one-of-a-kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-C Coldwater Road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. DCBS, welcome home. All systems are functional. Flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Adventures in time and space, transcribed in future tense. The powwow. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one. Disorder never sounded so good. From the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine presents... 
The Pow Wow, weekends at 12, only on SoFloRadio.com. here with Suzanne Chancellor as our new host for this program and in this segment we're going to be taking your calls and that call in number is 786-245-8127 so if you have a question for Suzanne or comments about the show or anything please feel free to do that again that number is 786-245-8127 and when we left, we we had already covered a great deal of ground about how the government mm-hmm. lies, which nobody seems to question that anymore, strangely. Nope. But in 1947 in Roswell, the government was always true and true to the people and stuff. Of course, they threatened families and everything else after the incident at Roswell. But... Um, and this was about the same time that the story started surfacing about the men in black, just a couple of years after that. So, By the way, guys, uh, we have a caller on the line, 562. You're live on Skywatchers Radio. Hello, hello. caller. Hello. Tell us who, hello. Tell us who you are and where you're from. I'm David from Long Beach. Hello, David. Welcome to Skywatchers Radio. What you got for us? Oh, no, great show. Uh, it's my first time. I think Susanna introduced me to the show. Cool. So oh, I thought, thank uh, you, David. Awesome. Yeah. So what did you hear so, about uh, it on Facebook? I heard a few bits about something about Mars and that the government has been involved with Mars and the moon for a very long time and that, um, you know, um, only the no's get to know what's going on with all that. And, uh, that's that's pretty much true, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, only those in I, the know get to know what's going on behind the scenes. And it's funny, um, you know, um, when you guys, as you guys were talking about it, it kind of reminded me a lot um, of what I used to do. I mean, a long time ago, I used to uh, uh, quality control different types of hardware for the government, and. Um, God, I've seen some magnificent stuff, you know. And um, for, for a long time, I thought that there wasn't really any such thing as aliens or anything like that because I actually saw hardware that moved like mm-hmm. a flying saucer. And I just thought, oh, okay, that's 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 from us, you know. And that uh, all this is just a cover-up, you know. It's a perfect cover-up to hide something like that. And uh, Right. Uh, it's it's like what you guys said, you know, like if, if they could do that already, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, like, you know, there was a colony going on in Mars or even on the moon. What is shocking? Even harder than that, probably, wow. you know, some kind of exchange program with, with aliens if they do exist. Yeah, or some society that we're not familiar with, that we, the peons, are not familiar with, at least. Right. Right, and I realize that maybe the bigger picture is that um, we could be um, maybe cattle. You know, it could be some kind of like harvest and something that they want from us. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to control a bunch of cattle, imagine if a bunch of cattle knew exactly what was going to happen. Oh, my God. Mm. How are you supposed to here's control that? The, here's where I have an exception with that, though, uh, with us being cattle. Uh, for example, if you're smart enough to travel through light years of space and, you know, do it within a really quick time frame, and you could travel through the stars back and forth without any problems, and you might even be able to time travel. Why would you go to a specific planet to pick people as cattle when you could genetically take their DNA, go back to your home world, and raise them in your own home world, and just have your own cattle right there where nobody else here on this planet will even know what's going on? That, to me, is a little bit off. But I understand what you're saying. I think it's more of a of them perhaps find, trying to find a way to have a next generation of future species that are going to cohabit this planet after certain events might happen where our atmosphere changes, and that's why there's a lot of hybrid hybridization going on. That's what I really think is going on. They're looking for the next generation of species yeah. after human or Homo erectus. Remember, like I am a firm believer... I'm a firm. I was just going there. I'm a firm believer that the Anunnaki story is real, and that we were genetically manipulated from the beginning by aliens. Now, if we were from the beginning genetically manipulated by aliens to live in a world with this conditioning, with this atmosphere, with this environment, if things are going to change and they already have a wind of what's coming, if they already know what's coming, then they would prepare ahead of time. And one way to prepare for what's coming is to already start changing genetically the beings on the planet. Right. That's my personal right. take. And sometimes that's why, you know, I have a friend of mine, uh, Ricky, to talk to, and I've always asked him and a number of abductees, including uh, Jim Sparks, I asked him this question, like, you know, I've always wondered about, you know, evolution, mainly man's evolution, and mm -hmm. I've always wondered why does the apes and the gorillas and the monkeys are still around, and there's us. And I told, I asked him, it just doesn't make any sense because even the um, Neanderthal, even they use like simple tools, right? Maybe even fire, right? So you would think they'd be more resilient right. to survive on the planet versus an ape or a gorilla can. So I would like to understand more. I would like to learn more how they went because understanding how they went, I can have a pretty you know, get a picture of how we're going to go. You know what I mean? Well, here, here's the um, thing. Here, here's the thing. Say Neanderthal man was what the Anunnaki found when they got here. You know why there there's never been a missing link found? Because there why? is no such thing as a missing link. It never existed. Right. There, There is right. no in-between. They jumped the species from one point to the next and skipped exactly. the in-between. The, the missing link never happened. In other words, we went from Neanderthal man and they sped up our DNA perhaps a thousand years, perhaps a million years. And that's where we I, are I get, now. I, know, I, get, I get that. I get that. But what I, what I don't understand is um, if I, I assume Neanderthal, you know, I mean, were they like breed it out? Or did they all like go into a spaceship somewhere? Were they herded into a ship? No, no, they, they else or, the the latest you know what I mean? the latest genetic the latest the latest genetic evidence says that Neanderthals are us. It's just right. that we had an addition to our DNA at some point right. in time, exactly. um, starting roughly seventy thousand years ago. 
Some people say right. some scientists say 160,000 years ago. Uh, some say 70,000 years ago. But one thing is for certain: at 70,000 years before present, there was a major bottleneck, and the human Homo sapiens sapien population was down to a very small number, 5,000 to 20,000 maximum. Right. And and basically, we're all one family. It's just that. It has a lot of members now, six billion or so. But we're all still part Neanderthal. And that is where we get the majority of our immune system DNA. Because Neanderthal was already immune to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But then uh, viruses also evolved. So. Okay, uh, you said that it was. You said it was about like uh, uh, I I don't get the term, but. Did you say diction of our DNA? Yes, admixture is what they call it. The, okay, the admixture. So, so would that be like something that happened over like a 10,000-year cycle, or is it something that happened like just in a few years they just did this? I'm, I'm just trying to understand well, if how... They, if they're genetically manipulating beings, say, for example, they came down here and they found a world being ran by Neanderthal men, okay, and they wanted to genetically jump the species, they're not going to wait thousands of years to do that, especially if they want to mine for gold. So they, I'm sure, would have some form of technology to make the species jump immediately, perhaps maybe in a few hours, in a few days, in a few years, or perhaps when they bred, like say, for example, when these beings, these Neanderthal had babies, the babies would just come out already advanced and, and they already would have the genetic jump that they needed. Well, so you're, eventually you're assuming, all the Neanderthals would just die out. You're assuming, though, that the Anunnaki operated on the same time frame that we do. And the yeah, implication, true. the implications that Sitchin and a lot of others have made is that they are, uh, from our point of view, functionally immortal. They live thousands of years. Right. So that they could be pretty patient. They could do, you know, like a 20-generation program or even a 50 generation program and it wouldn't even be a career for them so um, it's it's entirely possible well, here, that it did take yeah, a thousand or even ten thousand yeah, years it, it could have taken a thousand years but here's here's a little bit to back up the in the story or my point of view I should say the the Anunnaki of course in the writing of the Sumerians they said that they made us in their image under their likeness of course if they genetically did it and they were, they were doing it by breeding then this would imply that the babies of the Neanderthal beings that they were genetically manipulating were the beings that were being produced in their image under their likeness and they were oh, using certainly. Neanderthal as the host to breed these babies like oh, what's concur. going on now with the, the abduction phenomenon where people are being abducted, hybrid babies are being created, and, you know, it's just a cycle that keeps going on and on and on. That's where I'm, right. that's where I'm going. So it, this wouldn't take thousands of years. This would take literally nine months. It would not take thousands of years to create the first Adam and the first Eve, which even the Sumerian text gives you the name Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. True. Just like the Bible. Exactly. The Bible, you know, for a lot of its faults, the Bible may have a lot of things that I question, but there is a lot of historical stuff in the Bible which could be completely connected right back to the Sumerian text. And that in itself should make people really reconsider their beliefs a little bit and look into a little bit more to what Zechariah Sitchin was working on. God bless Mm -hmm. his soul. A great great human being. Absolutely, absolutely. 
but as as far as the genetic admixture, because they now have sequenced the entire Neanderthal genome as well as the entire mm-hmm. human genome, and uh, the similarity are the common the common strands of DNA are um, centralized prim- primarily within the immune system. We know that uh, contrary to the early beliefs about Neanderthal, that they almost certainly had spoken language. We know that most right. of them were blue-eyed and brown-haired. Right. Uh, right. Some of them, some of them leaned toward red hair. They weren't all short and broad and brutish. Some of them were um, uh, gracile, is is the word right. that they use, and. It's it's like, okay, the genetics that we know come from just a couple of Neanderthal, or just a, a dozen or so Neanderthal specimens, mostly from the teeth, because that's what survives the longest as far as DNA. And right. it's, it's amazing what they can discern from those little bitty strands of chemicals. Because, but they can only do that because they are so similar to modern humans. That's correct. Guys, we have another new caller on the line, uh, 916. You're on the air on Skywatchers Radio. Uh, Do you have a question for us? Actually, I'm just here listening right now. Uh, I'm a friend of Suzanne's and uh, Dave's. My name is Ricky. Hi, Ricky. How are you, Suzanne? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, no problem. Just listening, I kind of just got in, so it's pretty interesting. So, well, thank you for listening so, to Skywatchers Radio, Ricky. Welcome uh, no aboard. And I have thank to say you, that Ricky is going to be a future guest of ours, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. Me too. Very cool. Now, yeah, so other than Ricky, we some. also have uh, we also have another caller on the line who joined us. Uh, five six two is on the line again with us. Uh, five six two, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, I got cut off, but yeah, it's up, Ricky. <laughs> Is this um, Majestic so, Day, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, did, hello. Did that, ad- oh. did that address your question, Dave, about the, how long it might have taken? Actually, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's it's what what I'm imagining in the future. Let's say that, um, see, the human species has become more advanced. They become more conscious about the surroundings. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have to assume that the uh, Anderthal were, were a little dumber than we were. You know what I mean? So they're Probably readily... a little dumber and a little stronger. Uh, mm. You know, there is yeah. there's actually so, evidence proving that they were a little bit stronger physically, but they might have been, of course, a little bit lesser, uh, and, of course, much less advanced uh, intelligent-wise. Okay. Well, that's, 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 that's probably all they needed to succeed. Well, that's really debatable, though, because we know now that Neanderthal engage in a lot of um, activities that were multi-step manufacturing stuff. Now, most people don't think about manufacturing and Neanderthal in the same sentence, but they attached their spear points to the halves using pitch, and it takes five very careful steps to make pitch from pine tar. Otherwise, you end up with burning pine tar. So they had mastered that craft um, some 60,000 years ago. We know that because of the artifacts that are found. The other thing is, if the Anunnaki wanted 
gold miners, why would they want them to be smart? Wouldn't they want them to be? Wouldn't they want them to be dumb and brutish? No, no, no I, you'd I, want I, them to I, be I, smart I, enough I, to be able to dig the gold out of the mines. Uh, you don't want it to be so dumb that they don't know what the hell you're instructing them to do. Right. You don't want them to be so smart that they could overthrow you. So you just make them smart enough to where they understand what you're advising them to do, what you're directing them to do, and to look at you as their gods. Right. And that's where they make well, well, the fear that's, that's into my you. Point. I mean, that's, that's my point, guys. It's like I'm talking about, like, let's say right now, let's say that they try to reinstitute the same program for us, right? That to give way for for the next uh, hybrid or whatever you call it, the next evolution for for, for mankind or whatever. So, because we're smarter and because we're more cautious, is it are are they actually fighting more of a conflict? Let's say that you know between the humans and the greys or the humans and the aliens or whatever. We we have a choice to reject the program. Here, here's the thing, though. Is that even a choice? Who says, who because says I'm trying to understand why. Even, I'm trying to understand why this whole thing is a secret. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here's another. Here's another uh, scenario. Who says the whole the whole hybrid phenomenon is even for this planet? Maybe they're breeding hybrids for another planet. Mars, perhaps. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. I never thought of that. That's another thing people don't want to think about, and it, it's a very viable possibility. Maybe they're already done here, but they need to bring Mars back to life somehow. Maybe that's an agenda of theirs. There's a lot of or stuff maybe, going on on Mars that, that we maybe, have to you know, keep that in mind. Maybe they've okay. already run out of the easy, easily accessible gold on this planet, and they need to go to a different one. Perhaps. But that's kind of, that's kind of strange for them to do that because, I mean, based on, uh, my, based on what I've... Um, what I've gathered is um, these aliens are able to basically conjure up uh, uh, elements from from almost like empty space, from empty space. I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems like they they they've mastered that technology. Maybe what you guys are talking about now, maybe the Anunnaki's didn't have that technology back then. You know. Oh well, well I, I think you're possible. referring to you're referring to I believe zero point energy, which is. Uh, the energy that flows through all the cosmos, even when you remove all the gases and all the other forms of energy, uh, zero-point energy yeah. is actually something we've been trying to experiment with for over two decades now. Uh, and I believe in the 90s there was a gentleman who put out a video about the tether incident, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen. Of course. If you, if you know about ufology, you know about Martin Stubbs and the tether incident. And, uh, yeah. you know, that was a experiment that NASA would was trying to see if they could harness zero-point energy. That's exactly what they were trying to do. So if we're doing that now, who's not to say that the Anunnaki didn't master that 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 20,000 years ago, 30,000 years ago? I mean, if they're a million years more advanced than we are, I'm sure they know about zero-point energy. And that would make perfect sense. Any species that wants, to, that wants to travel the stars would have to use some form of energy like that because that never runs out. It's limitless energy. Exactly. You just travel through the stars without yep. any problem because you always have fuel. It's all around you. It's like the Force. It's all yeah, there you go. Like that. There yeah. you go, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> and it's very real, too. You know, they have evidence of it um, based on... You ever heard of the Casimir effect? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Where it's and it's strange. And it's, it's documented, and there are a number of videos um, that display it. But the Casimir effect is merely an effect. It's not the 
the process itself. It's the observable effect of the process. There's probably a whole bunch of effects that we cannot observe in the electromagnetic spectrum. My contention is, or my hypothesis or suspicion, however you want to say it, is that we can't see gravity. We can feel it if it's extreme, but the Casimir effect has a gravitational um, function or element to it. But we don't have any good way of measuring it. We can measure its effect on mass, but we don't know how to measure gravity directly. Correct. So, Correct. I think gravity is actually. I, I think gravity is actually the key to zero point energy, rather than vice versa. Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're onto something. Yep. Wow. It's a, it's amazing that video, the the tether video. I'll never forget watching that for the first time, and seeing all the objects that are floating around in, in that one piece of footage. Mm -hmm. If all those are alien beings, I mean, even if they're not aliens, say all those. In that one Whatever spot. Whatever those crafts were. If, yeah. if, if those were just, say, our crafts, for example, doing that out there in space, because that, that was pretty deep into space. I mean, that wasn't near the moon or anything, but it was pretty deep out there. And uh, if, if that's going on right there, you know, right in our backyard, can that, you imagine that was a what's going that on? That was a medium, medium altitude. Else. That was a medium altitude mission at about 200 miles above the surface. I should say above mean sea level. Yeah, it's nowhere. Yeah, it's nowhere near like the moon or anything. It's just a little bit deep up there. But uh, I mean, if that's going on right there in our backyard. Imagine what's going on by Mars, by the other planets, outside of the Milky Way. I mean, there's. I'm positive there's life everywhere. Just oh, me the, too. The whole universe is teeming with life. The Drake equation is pretty definitive on that one. There should be life yes. everywhere. I have to. Uh, Definitely agree on the Drake equation. Guys, we're almost out of time here on Skywatchers Radio. I want to thank our callers who called in. Uh, Dave, thanks for calling in. And Ricky, right? Am I correct? Yes, yes. Cool. You guys yeah, have cool. any other questions for us uh, before we uh, we sign off with you guys for the night? Uh, this is your next show. When's that coming out? A week well, from tonight. That's a great question. Every Wednesday at 11 p.m., Skywatchers Radio Beyond. In fact, uh, this is going to be one of my uh, last broadcasts as a regular host on Skywatchers Radio. I'm going to be signing off probably for the last time this week as a regular host because Suzanne here is going to replace me as the main host on the show. And, uh, of course, we are still looking for a co-host uh, for her uh, to be the second host on the show, but in the meantime, Rick Osman here is going to continue to fill in that void until we find somebody to replace him with, and uh, once we find that uh, that other person, me and Rick are going to sit back, uh, sip some margaritas, <laughs> and we're going to listen to the radio while they do an amazing job on Skywatchers awesome. Radio week in, week out, and from time to time, we will fill in as co-host when the other uh, you know, host needs a day off or they need to uh, visit the, a salon or something to get their hair done. Whatever the, the cause may be, we'll be there to, to support the show and, and fill in. So, uh, you know, I just want to thank everybody who's made this show a great success over the last two years. And it's been really uh, an amazing show. We've had a lot of great guests, and I know it's in great hands uh, with Suzanne and whoever, so whoever else we pick. Uh, for the future here, and uh, I'm positive you guys are going to do a great job. And uh, that next person is coming pretty soon. We already announced the one person who is taking over my spot, and the next person will be announced pretty soon. 
we're already looking at a, at a few folks, so uh, that's going to be exciting. Okay. And I can't wait to see this show just take off and continue on. Uh, into the very into the you know, it just I know you guys are going to do a great job. I really do. Thank you, Jackal. So with and that, with, yeah, that's where I was going. And with that, we're down to the final couple minutes of this particular segment of Skywatchers Radio. And I want to uh, second the thanks to everyone who called in, and especially to Suzanne. And welcome to the family, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me. And we will be back next week, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, on Skywatchers Radio. Rick Osmond, we're out of here. Enjoy. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Take care.